wondered in sin's black night and there was no way I could make my wrongs right then that old accuser to the Lord did cry he is a sinner and now he must die and is still the blood that saves from sin and is still the blood that cleanses within from the highest star in heaven to the depths of the sea it is still the blood of jesus that brings victory to me there are those who rely on the works that they do and some men count on the times they pray through but when the battle's over and my last song is sung i'll go home through the blood of god's precious only son and it's still the blood that saves from sin it's still the blood that cleanses within from the highest star in heaven to the depths of the sea it is still the blood of jesus that brings victory to me and it's still the blood that saves from sin it's still the blood that cleanses within from the highest star in heaven to the depths of the sea it is still the blood of jesus that brings victory to me from the highest star in heaven to the depths of the sea it is still the blood of jesus that brings victory to me
from the music and forgot about putting the mic on. All right, there we go. I think we're ready to roll here. Well, we're glad you're here today, and uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, take our Bibles and turn over to the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 14. Last week, we began a message, uh, The Secret to Killing Giants, and I'm going to go ahead and finish that up today. Joshua chapter 14, we're going to begin in verse 5, we'll read through verse 15, and then we'll uh, kind of recap some things, uh, summarize, and then we'll kind of take off from where we left off and kind of bring this to a conclusion uh, this morning. Again, so happy that you're here. Joshua chapter 14, beginning in verse 5. As the Lord commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did, and they divided the land. Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua in Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and thee in Kadesh Barnea. Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to espy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in mine heart. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance and thy children's forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, as he said, these forty and five years, even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. As yet I am as strong this day, As I was in the day that Moses sent me, as my strength was then, even so is my strength now for war, both to go out and to come in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain whereof the Lord spake in that day. For thou heardest in that day how the Anakins were there and that the cities were great and fenced. If so be be, the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him and gave unto Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, Hebron for an inheritance. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, unto this day, because that he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And the name of Hebron before was Kirjath Arba, which Arba was a great man among the Anakims, and the land had rest from war. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Father, we come to you. We thank you for, again, the privilege to gather today and to worship you. We ask, Lord, that in the midst of this time where we open the Word of God out and share the Word of God, that, Lord, it would be productive, that, Lord, it would be profitable to each and every listener. Lord, may you speak to me and through me. May I simply be your mouthpiece today. Lord, may you fill me with your Spirit, that, Father, your Word would go forth and that it would do the work that you intended to do. Lord, we realize that the devil is here to snatch away the seed, to steal it. But Lord, may you put a hedge of protection about us even now and keep the devil out that, Lord, your work may be done in our lives. Lord, if there be any that are lost without Jesus Christ, that do not know for sure heaven's their home and do not have a personal relationship with the Lord that died on Calvary, may they, Father, settle that today before they leave. Bless us and help us, we pray. 
In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so in the passage that we're reading, of course, we've been discussing and dealing with Caleb. We know that Joshua and Caleb, along with other spies, went into the land. There they espied the land. They went on a recon mission. And, of course, they were sent in by Moses to look at the land that God had promised the children of Israel. When they returned, of course, the spies said, listen, it is a wonderful land. And, boy, I'll tell you, it's filled with milk and honey. And it is a land that is going to be wonderful and and, and marvelous. However, there are giants in the land. However, there's an enemy in the land. And as much as we want to take over the land, as much as we want to occupy the land, we realize and recognize there's going to be a supreme battle, a very difficult battle. And we are fearful to go into the land. Joshua and Caleb, however, they stood to their feet, and Caleb especially, the one we're dealing with today, he says, listen, God has promised us this land, and because God has promised us this land, I know God can do it, and God will do it. However, the people of God, in those days, Israel, decided that it was time to have a rock concert, and they were going to stone Caleb and Joshua. And so before it was all said and done, they did get away with their lives. But as we're going to see, they're going to spend a number of years in the wilderness wandering because of their rebellion and disobedience to God and His promises. And now we come to the end of that 40 years and Israel has made their way into the promised land. They've had a campaign, a battle if you will. And for five years they've been fighting this battle. And now they're prepared now to begin to divide the land among the, 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 the tribes of Israel. And in that division, Caleb shows up and says, Now wait, before things get too far along, I want to remind you, Joshua, of a promise that was made to me by the man of God, Moses. And God told him to give me a land, my own land, because I, was, I wholly followed the Lord. And so as a result, we have that wonderful phrase that we often remember as we go through Sunday school and in church, Give me that mountain. I want that mountain, we sing. And Caleb said, it's time. And sure enough, he would get that mountain, we know. But as we learned along the way last week, we realized that that particular land and that mountain was a part of a piece of property, Hebron, that before was called Kirjath Arba. And Arba was a great man, the Bible says, among the Anakims. And what we realized and what we learned from the Word of God was that the, that the Anakims were a race of giants. That there were giants among the Anakims. As a matter of fact, when the children of Israel went into the land, they talked about seeing giants and, and so forth. And the fact was is that these, these particular Anakims were part of that group. And so what we're saying then was that Caleb, in order to obtain the mountain that God had given him, was going to have to go in battle with some giants. We saw some other giants in the, the Word of God. We talked about Og, king of Bashan, who had a bed that was 13 and a half feet by 6 feet wide. I mean, they were, there were in those days some giants. As a matter of fact, we talked about another man who was a giant killer by the name of David. Now, I can't explain exactly how this all happens. Obviously, there's some sense of genetic issues. We know that even before the flood, there were men of renown. There were giants in the land. I don't want to get into all of that. But the fact is, is that throughout the word of God, we recognize that there have been those that were of larger stature than normal. And we said that as far as these giants are concerned, you and I may not face some giants, literal giants, although there seems to be some among us even today in this room. At least compared to me at five, eight and a half. 
Five nine maybe on a good day. But the truth is, is we may not fight giants as we recognize them in the word of God being eight foot, 10 foot, 12 foot tall. But may I say this, you're going to face some giants in your life. We talked about just real quickly and mentioned giants in our relationships and in our finances, giants in our health, giants concerning our feelings, and maybe even giants concerning our faith. There are those things that are going to stand between us and the mountain that God has for us. And we often refer to giants as being very large and very strong, and they seem sometimes impervious to our attempts to overcome them. But we know that in the Word of God, giants fall. And what we learned, a couple of things about giants as a result of these giant killers, that one, giants are not indestructible. They're not indestructible. We learned also that whether you're young or old, you can kill a giant. Because Caleb was 85. David was just a young man. But either way, giants fell. And then we arrived at the last point, and I just touched on it as we closed last week. We said, as a rule, giants will be killed by experienced soldiers. Now, I'm going to share that because we have this in the Word of God. We have David on one hand, this young man, and then we have Caleb on the other hand, this elderly man, 85 years of age. Both of them killing giants. But I want you to realize that as a rule, giants will be killed by experienced soldiers. In the Word of God, we have examples of giants falling, but we only have one example of a giant falling from a young, inexperienced man. Look, if you would, please, in 2 Samuel chapter 21. 2 Samuel chapter 21. It's amazing how when one giant falls, others want to get in on the business. Notice what happens here in 2 Samuel chapter 21. David is getting up in years. And we're going to see that there's a battle that ensues. There's a fight that takes place. Notice again chapter 21, beginning in verse 15. Moreover, the Philistines had yet war again with Israel. And David went down and his servants with him and fought against the Philistines. And David waxed faint. Means he grew tired and weary. And Ishbi, Benob, which was of the sons of the giant the weight of whose spear weighed 300 shekels of brass in weight, he being girded with a new sword, thought to have slain David. But Abishai, the son of Zariah, secured him and smote the Philistine and killed him. Now you're going to note here in just a few moments that this particular Abishai, well, at least let me share with you, he is one of David's mighty men. This is not a novice to battle. Abishai was a warrior. And notice here in this case, he comes to David's aid. And and the Bible says he killed that giant. Then the men of David swear unto him, saying, Thou shalt go no more out with us to battle, that thou quench not the light of Israel. Verse 18, And it came to pass after this that there was again a battle with the Philistines at Gob. Then Sebekai, the Hushathite, slew Saph, which was of the sons of the giant. And there was again a battle in Gob with the Philistines where Elkanah, the son of Jerah, Oregon, <laughs> a Bethlehemite, slew the brother of Goliath, the Gittite, the staff of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. 
I mean, these are not little men. These are giant men. These are men of huge stature. And yet, and excuse me, verse 20, and there was yet a battle in Gath. There was a man of great stature that had on every hand six fingers and on every foot six toes, four and twenty in number. Now, I don't, I don't know why he had to add four and twenty in number, like, 20, like you know, six, 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 twenty-four. But obviously the Lord wants to know he didn't have any extra hands or feet, I guess. I don't know. But he goes on to say, this particular giant had four and twenty in number. And he also was born to the giant. And when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shemiah, the brother of David, slew him. Now listen, he wasn't doing any fighting when Goliath was around. Remember that? He was hiding behind the rocks. Little David had to go out there and defeat a giant because there wasn't a man of God there that was willing to stand up and face the giant. But now his brother's got the guts to do it. I like it. When you start watching giants fall, it's funny how everybody wants to get in the business of killing a giant. And you may think to yourself, I'm just one person and what can I do? Let me tell you, you go out and you kill a giant. You take charge of a situation. You deal with it like a, in a Christ-like manner. You get the victory that God intends all believers to have in some area of your life, my friend. And I promise you, somebody's watching and somebody says, now I have the courage to face my giant and I'm going to kill him. So it's interesting as we read through the word of God, we're going to note that really giant killers are experienced soldiers. For the most part, outside of David, we read about men that have already done some killing, have already been trained in the art of warfare. They are men of God that were already exceptional in this art. So what I want to say then is this, or what I want to share real quickly is this thought. Think about this for a minute. And it's only a statement, and we'll move on. Giant killers are not born. They're made one day at a time. They're not born. You say, well, that guy or that gal right there, I mean, they're just different. They were born a giant killer. No, they weren't. Giant killers aren't born. They're made one day at a time. See, growth and strength are pictured in the Bible. It's interesting how it's viewed in the Word of God. Look, if you would, in Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. See how, how, how this element of growth is pictured. It's pictured as a tree. Notice in, again, Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1. We're going to begin, in the, read, we're going to begin by reading verse 1 and write, read through verse 3 here. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, but sitteth... In the seat of the, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and with, whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Now, I don't know about you, but trees that produce fruit usually have roots that are going into the ground. And this tree here is planted by this 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 river of water. And, and may I say that that tree is planted and its roots are growing deep into the soil. It's becoming strong and stable and sturdy. And as a result of that, it's drawing the nutrients off of that river. 
and it's drawing the nutrients that come down from the sky and it's sucking all that water in and all those nutrients and it's growing stronger and stronger and producing fruit and it is prosperous in all its ways. And may I say that the truth is that when God pictures the believer today, he pictures him as a tree and we don't have time to get into how he does that throughout scripture. But in this particular case, he's saying that you ought to be like a tree that is planted by that river and your roots ought to be growing deep into the soil of God and his word and you ought to become stronger and stronger so that you can produce what God intends you to. And that's true in my life as well. We're to be like these trees and we're to be growing stronger and more sturdy and more stable every day of our life. You don't just kill giants your first day out on the job usually. And may I say before we go too much further that although David was a youth and the, the, the giant was a man of war from his youth, David had still killed a bear. David had still killed a lion. David had still seen God's hand in his life to the place where when he faced a giant, he said, I'm not afraid of no giant because even as God delivered me out of the hand of the lion and the bear, he'll deliver me out of your hand too. But normally, as a rule, giants will be killed by experienced soldiers. We think about Caleb and his example. I mean, he was a seasoned veteran, a savvy soldier. And here's what we find about him. Notice in Numbers chapter 13. Let's turn back to Numbers 13. We're going to see that he took a very strong stand. He took a strong stand. All the way back in Numbers chapter 13. Let's begin in verse 27. Again, a recon party had been sent out to espy the land. Notice this passage here now. Chapter 13, verse 27. And they told him and said, We came into the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it flowed with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people. He stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of a great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. I don't know about you, but this is a bad situation here. I mean, here's Caleb now saying, we ought to go up and take the land. But the people are saying, we can't do it. Notice it goes on to say in chapter 14 now, verse 6. Chapter 14 now, verse 6. 
and Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes, and they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, Now listen, you've got to understand, there are thousands probably gathered at this point. There are a number of people now that are standing and saying, We can't do it. There's no way we can take the land. There's no way we can occupy this land. And yet Caleb and Joshua are taking a very strong stand here before the crowd. And it says that Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which was passed, that we passed through, to search it, is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it us. A land which floweth with milk and honey, only rebel not against the Lord. Neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. But all the congregation bade stone them with stones. And the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. Then I mean to tell you, he took a strong stand against a people who were in total opposition to him, when everybody else said, we're going to just sit here. We're not going to go anywhere. We're not going to put our families at risk. We're not going to put our livelihoods at risk. We're not going to put anything at risk. We know better than to take a chance on this dream. It's not going to happen. And Caleb stood to his feet along with Joshua and said, are you kidding me? God's in this thing. God's going to deliver us. God is going to do it. Let's step up and do something for God. He took a strong stand. See, the people were discouraged, but Caleb was determined. The people were complaining, but Caleb was confident. The people were fearful, but Caleb was faithful. Caleb said, listen, I don't care what anybody says. I saw that land, and I know what God promised, and I'm taking a stand for him, even if it means my very life. And they very well could have. He took a strong stand. Not only that, but he traveled a steady course. We're talking about killing some giants. Caleb's a giant killer. And we looked at these other men. They were seasoned veterans in warfare. You want to be a giant killer, you better be willing to take a strong stand. Not only that, he traveled a steady course. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, the wilderness journey took 40 years. And after the wilderness journey, mind you, there were five more years of battle. Now, it's interesting. Turn, if you would, to Numbers chapter 1. Let's look at the, this number of men that, that we're going to see that were part of Israel at this time. Because this is important to realize. As they go into the wilderness, there is a mass of people. Look what it says here in Numbers chapter 1. In verse 45... I mean, Caleb, he traveled a very steady course. It wasn't an easy one either. Notice it says here in verse 45. So were all those that that were numbered of the children of Israel by the house of their fathers from 20 years old and upward. Remember those that were 20 and upward were, were the ones who ultimately would die in the wilderness. They were considered 
responsible for the decision that was made not to enter the land. 19 and below would ultimately enter the land. Now, there was probably no, there's no guarantee that every one that was 19 and below entered the land, but they were not kept back from the land because of rebellion. But all those that were 20 and above would never go into the promised land. Wouldn't happen. And so what we find here then, it says that there were numbered from 20 years old and upward, all that were able to go forth to war in Israel. Even all they that were numbered, watch this, 600,000 and 3,550. Now, let's just round that off. There were 600 men that could go to battle. The, the implication, I believe, is that of those that were 20 and upward, there were 600,000 men. Now, notice it goes on to say, even all they that were numbered were 600,000 and 3,550, and the Levites after the tribe of their fathers were not numbered among them. So the Levites weren't even numbered. You know who else wasn't numbered? The women. You know who else wasn't numbered? The children. My point being is there are 600,000 men that are 20 years old or upward, and there are, there are how many thousands of women... How many thousands of children? How many Levites were there even? Those that came out of Egypt that were to enter into the promised land probably likely numbered anywhere from two to three million people. It probably was closer to two and a half to three. Now listen, all I'm saying is, is think about this for a minute. One million people died in the wilderness probably. One million people died in the wilderness in 40 years, more than likely. And you know, if you take that number and you say, we know 600,000 men were 20 and over. For, a, for sure, those men died. But let's just add four more hundred thousand. One million people died in the wilderness. 68 people a day were dying. 480 a week died. 2,083 every month died. 25,000 a year died. Now, I don't know about you, but if you would take this group of Israel out in the wilderness and, and, and you would just walk through the, the, the little alleys and the, 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 the uh, I guess, dirt little paths that were made from little tent to tent to tent, you would hear the weeping, you would hear the crying, you would hear the sorrowing of people losing family members that had been 20 and upward. Every day, Caleb has to endure this. Every day, Caleb listens to the cries. Every day, Caleb is reminded again of what rebellion and disobedience brought to the children, what brought the children of Israel to. I don't know about you, but he's traveled a steady course. He didn't waver. He didn't go to the left or the right. Caleb made a stand, a very strong stand, and then he took a steady course. And he said, I'm not getting off course. I'm going to stay on course, and over the next 40 years, I'm going to continue to obey the Lord. I'm going to walk in His statutes. I'm going to live my life for Christ. I'm not going to vary. I'm not going to veer. I'm not getting off for nothing. See, that's what giant killers do. They walk a steady course. Not just for a day, a week, a month, or a year, but a lifetime. 
And we wonder why we don't get the victories in our life that we think we deserve. We wonder why God's not showing up on our front doorstep and saying, go out and get them, big boy. Take care of them, David. You knock them down today because I see you got a big problem in your life. Let's finish it right now. We say, where's God at? Why ain't he letting me kill this giant today? Because most people will experience a Caleb experience, not a David one. And my friend, the only way you're really going to get victory in your life and kill the giants that are standing between you and the mountains that God has for you to occupy is if you'll stay steady and if you'll stay strong and if you'll stand for God. Not only did he take a strong stand and travel a steady course, but this Caleb, he trusted a scriptural outcome. Look at Numbers chapter 14. Verse 23. You're not going to believe this, but really the whole message is still back here. But anyway, we're okay. We're getting what we need to get today. He trusted the scriptural outcome, Numbers 14, verse 23. Surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me, see it. But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him, and hath followed me fully, him will I bring into the land whereinto he went, and his seed shall possess it. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwelt in the valley. Tomorrow turn you and get you into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. Now I want to skip now over to verse 29, just a few verses down. Look at verse 29 now. Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness. And all that were numbered of you, according to your whole number from 20 years old and upward, which have murmured against me, doubtless ye shall not come into the land concerning which I swear to make you dwell therein, save Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. But your little ones which he said should be a prey, then will I bring in, and they shall know the land which ye have despised. Isn't that interesting? I, I, I do want to bring this out real quick, and it just hit me as I'm reading this. Notice he says, but your little ones, which ye said should be a prey. What he's saying is, when I told you to take over the land, the, one of the excuses you gave was that y- your families were at risk. And now I want you to know the only ones that are going to go in are your children, not you. Because you didn't have the guts and the faith to step out and do what I told you to do. So it's going to cost you the privilege and the opportunity of watching your children grow up. And to see your grandchildren. Because you could have had all of it. But instead, you were so selfish. You would not go into the land, even though I told you to. And you did not believe me. You would not trust me. Therefore, guess what? Your kids still are going to make it in. And they're still going to have their families. And they're still going to prosper. But you won't get to see any of it. Isn't that sad? Isn't that sad? It's funny what we'll put before obeying God. And in the long run, God always has our best interest at heart. Notice he goes on in verse 29 again. Oh, excuse me, to say your carcasses shall fall. Now watch, except for you guys. He said, except, save Caleb and the son Jephunneh, the son of uh, Jephunneh and Joshua, the son of Nun. 
But your children, he says, shall wander in the wilderness 40 years and bear your whoredoms until your carcasses be wasted in the wilderness. You're going to die in this wilderness. You're done. Now, here's what I want you to understand. You say, well, I thought the point was that he trusted a scriptural outcome. Can you imagine Caleb watching everybody dying around him? All of his friends. All of his family members. They're dying all around him. And he has to hold on to what? A promise that God made him. I mean, he's seeing this happening all around him. And for 40 years, he's reminded that everyone's dying. Everyone's going away. And five years later, he's thinking, oh, wait, 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 wait. It's okay. I'm not going to die. I've been given God's promise. I'm going into the promised land. I'm going to possess a mountain. I'm going to have a land. I'm going to see the future. I'm going to be the future. Ten years later, he starts to wonder, man, now all of a sudden, other people that I love and care about are dying. It seems that everyone's dying all around me. Let me ask you, after 40 years of having to face death, 40 years of seeing God's wrath upon those children of disobedience, 40 years of wandering in a wilderness and wondering if we're ever going to get out, I wonder if he could have ever thought, maybe even for a moment, I wonder if I'll ever really get over there and see it. I wonder if any of us will. I believe he never thought that. I believe Caleb held on to the promise of God. I believe just as strong as he was when he went into that land and spied it out and came back and said to the people in that strong stand, hey, God's in this thing. We can do this thing. We can get victory. We can possess the land. We can be everything God wants us to be. I believe he kept that faith throughout. I believe he traveled that steady course. And I believe he traveled that steady course. And he could take that strong stand because he trusted a scriptural outcome. He heard the promises of God. He knew that God had already promised the land. So he said, guys, gals, we're going to take that land. I'm standing, though all of you won't stand with me. And then in the wilderness, I believe with all my heart, he just kept remembering what God had promised. You're going to get into that land. You're going to have a mountain. You're going to have victory in your life. You're going to see God work in your life. You're going to get there one day. Boy, if you want to kill some giants, like Caleb, we're going to need to take a strong stand. We're going to need to travel a steady course, not just for a week, a month, a year, but a lifetime. We're going to have to trust a scriptural outcome. We're going to have to get a hold of this book and we're going to have to take the promises of God and say, these promises aren't just in a book. They're not just given to a people. They're given to me. And I'm claiming them. And it doesn't matter who runs, who hides. It doesn't matter who turns their back on the truth. I'm going to stand for Jesus and I'm going to live my life for God and I'm going to believe the promises and I'm going to exercise them in my life. See, God may not give you a David experience. And I'm telling you, the devil is great at discouraging the believer. As a matter of fact, I believe that's one of his greatest weapons, discouragement. And he'll say, if God really loved you, he wouldn't allow you to suffer so. He said, if God really cared, he would deliver you today. The devil will tell you, if God was really concerned about you, things wouldn't be so difficult and such a struggle in your life. Boy, he tries to discourage you. And you know what you got to hold on to? The promises. Man, you cannot give up on these promises. I don't know, I'll probably mess it up, but it just came to my mind, that little course. Every promise in the book is mine. Every chapter, every verse, every line. All the blessings of His love divine. 
Every promise in the book is mine. You don't kill a giant until you take the promises of God and apply them to your own life. Boy, he'll try to discourage you. I'm going to give these to you real fast. Here they are. Number one, just write it down if you're taking notes. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. What do we have to do to be giant killers? You better trust in the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. 1 Peter 5, 7. That's the second one. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. If you're really going to be a giant killer, realize it's the long haul. It's not the short haul usually. Rarely do you get a David experience. You get a Caleb experience. So you better be able to cast all your cares on him. Number three, Psalm 27, 14. If you're going to be a giant killer, you better be willing to wait on the Lord. You've got to be patient and wait on God. We're often too quick to react. But hold on, Psalm 46.10, that's the next one. You have to be willing to be still. You say, wait a second, wait on the Lord and be still are the same thing. I kind of break it down this way. Often we're quick to react. And you know what, it is possible to wait, but to wait impatiently. See, you can be, well, I'm waiting on God, but you're not content. I mean, you're waiting on God, but you're just like, "Mm, man, I just, okay, God, when are you going to do it? When are you going to do it, God? Come on now. Come on. Let's get it done. Let's get it done. I'm not happy and I can't focus, nor can I concentrate till you get rid of this giant in my life. Boy, I tell you, you can wait, but wait impatiently. So we need to learn to be still and know that he is God. Psalm 46.10. And finally, 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. The Bible says, exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Well, I'll tell you what, when you look at that list of, of armor that we're given over in the book of Ephesians, we're given a tremendous list. At verse 17, he finally mentions a weapon. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. See, the only real weapon that's listed in that list is this book, the Word of God. Well, you better exercise yourself in this Word. Again, it always goes back to God and His promises. We've got to keep trusting him, don't we? Right. See, giant killers aren't made in a day. They're made in a lifetime. And I'm telling you, when it's all said and done, don't get discouraged. Giants are not indestructible. Don't be discouraged, because whether you're young or old, you can kill a giant. But also remember that as a rule, giants will be killed by experienced soldiers. So you and I today have to be very careful That like Caleb, we take a strong stand. We travel a steady course. And we trust a scriptural outcome. Don't quit. Don't give up. And today again, maybe the greatest mountain of sin, and we've not discussed it today, and we talked about it at the end last week, is that mountain of sin today. Boy, if that mountain of sin is in your life and it's never been addressed and dealt with, you've never dealt with the giant of sin in your life, I want you to know that it's going to require the blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed, purchased, bought back with corruptible things as silver and gold. Nobody can pull a checkbook out and write a check to God and get to heaven. Nobody can do anything to earn their way into heaven. 
He goes on to say, he says, for as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. It's not going to be your checkbook and it's not going to be your upbringing. It's not going to be your traditions. It's not going to be your lifestyle. He goes on to say, but this redemption is with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Even as in that Old Testament, he demanded a sacrifice that was without blemish and spot. He sent Jesus Christ, who was the perfect lamb of God. And he died on Calvary and shed his precious, perfect blood so that your sin could be washed away. But that sin isn't washed away just because he died. That sin's washed away when you acknowledge his work on Calvary as a work he did for you personally. Recognizing it's your sin that stands between you and God. And yet it's the Savior that hung between heaven and earth just for you. And you cry out to him in humble humility and say, oh Lord Jesus, I need you as my Savior because without you, I'll pay for my own sin and die and go to a devil's hell. Thank God the precious blood was shed. The payment was paid in full. You and I can know Christ as our Savior and Lord today. What mountains do you see on the horizon? What giants stand between you and those mountains today? May God help us to trust Him, depend on Him, to stay faithful in the midst of all of it. May we realize those giants are not indestructible. And I'm telling you, we can be giant killers today if we'll just take a strong stand and stay steady at this thing and just trust in the Lord. Father, we come to you.